0: This is Mouth Media Network covering the business of lifestyle.
1: Hi, my name is Jeremy Stewart, uh, founder of Haremari Flip Flops. Uh, and what I love about fashion and about what we do is innovating in a space that's uh, I think been long ignored. Uh, so it's fun to build and fun to create new things in a, in a kind of uh, cobwebbed area.
2: Some say there's a trend in the U.S. towards casual. And in footwear, well, that's running shoes and flip-flops. One of the fastest-growing brands in that arena created a lifestyle brand almost by accident. Rob Sanchez sat down with this brand's founders on location at e West in Palm Springs, California. Coming up, you'll hear how a big part of the brand ethos, giving to a cause may have backfired when the company launched, how they've seen flip-flops play a role both as necessity and as a new category in retail, and why they once had to relabel 25,000 pairs of flip-flops by hand, plus a move towards web-only products and fighting cancer with footwear. (music)
1: You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, powered by Sennheiser and recorded on location.
3: I'd love to have you tell me why you started the company and how it came about.
1: So strangely enough, it started out of politics. Uh, I used to be a consultant uh, and we, the company I worked for would go into mostly foreign countries where um, there was very little knowledge about how to run modern media political campaigns. Uh, and with greater media scrutiny and um, greater scrutiny at the, at the, the polls, um, developing countries and candidates would obviously look to America for uh, consultants. So um, my, my partner and I started working in Mexico and Central America and Haiti, and eventually ended up in Indonesia. And what we would do is we'd go out and we'd poll and we message test and research. We'd figure out what the kitchen table's uh, issues were, what people uh, wanted to hear. Um, and then we'd take all the information um, and we'd basically distill it down and, and be able to uh, write all the scripts for TV, radio, print ads. We'd produce them all ourselves. We'd throw them up on air. And hopefully, if we were doing our jobs correctly, we'd see the needle move. Uh, well... Uh, fast forward 10 years of, of doing that. And by this time, uh, Lila and I were both living in Indonesia. Uh, we were a bit burnt out on um, politics and uh, uh, just the, the, the nature of that, that uh, beast itself. And then the, the, the individuals and, and, and people involved. And, um, and we were sitting in a hotel room at the very end of the, the last campaign that we worked on. And uh, we were having coffee, watching CNN in the morning in, in Hanoi, Vietnam. And, um, and we looked up and uh, saw that terrorists had bombed our favorite restaurant in Jakarta, and it, it was almost like one of those things where we were already almost done with what we were doing, but that was a clear sign for us yeah. to expedite <laughs> that yeah. exit. And so we said, "Okay, let's let's move on." We were very fortunate that uh, we realized that these tactics and skills and, and, and packaged assets that we were were basically employing in politics could be used for consumer package goods. Uh, a candidate, after all, is is kind of like a pack, package good in themselves, right? You package them up, you dress them, you attach messages to them, you send them out to the world, and um, if they're doing their job right, then hopefully uh, you have success. So um, we moved back to the U.S., and we were looking for what that consumer good could potentially be, and we had a lot of different ideas, but we kept coming back to flip-flops for a lot of different reasons, but chief among them, it's a huge industry. It's $24 billion a year industry, about 15 of that's in the U.S. Um, the, the market share leader has about 10%. Are you talking about footwear or flip-flops? Flip-flops only. Yeah, flip-flops really? and samples, yeah. Um, and the market share leader has about 10%. So it's uh, unlike other industries that have a Pretty very... fractured. Yeah, yeah. It's very fractured. And um, and because of just the state nature of the industry, uh, the iterations of black and brown flip-flops um, in the kind of two to four-week break-in period associated with most most brands... Uh, we just saw very little innovation. In fact, uh, the, the key thing we noticed was that there, from the time we left to go to move abroad and the time we came back, nothing had happened. It was almost like the, you know, the same day, uh, uh, when we came back. So we said, okay, look, there might be something here. So, um, uh, I got to work doing what I knew how to do. I started focus grouping people, uh, just gauging opinions and attitudes. And I sat behind the glass and just listened for three days. And, um, Chief among uh, what people were saying and what our observations of, of our respondents was that, A, there's this ever-ceasing trend towards casual in the U.S., yeah. and flip-flops and running shoes tend to be the natural recipients of that tailwind on the footwear end. B, we found that uh, while we knew women were open to color, we found that the guys were too, but but brands weren't making colorful flip-flops to, to meet that, that demand. And last, we found that whether people love flip-flops, they hate them, they all hit that little piece that goes between your first and second toe. And so we saw all these kind of three key areas where we could potentially take advantage of that. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, in our research, we found that a quarter of all footwear purchases in the south and southeast, uh, where we're from, from Texas, uh, are flip-flops and sandals, where the national average is of about 16%, including the coast. And so you have this footwear category that's long been um, left behind. It hasn't been innovated. Um, it very complacent and often overlooked. And we saw all these different areas which could potentially bring something new to the table. And that's where we eventually launched, uh, hard more income kind of on those tenants. Excellent.
3: Um, as you were putting it together, how did you go about building the supply chain for the company?
0: That's a, that's a really good question. Um, we didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'll let Jeremy chime in about his, his crayon sketches, but, um, no, we, we really didn't know what we were doing when mm-hmm. we first started, right? We knew we had our vision. We had our goals. We knew the what we wanted the look and feel and the aesthetic to the brand, for the brand to be. We knew it, we wanted it to be premium. We wanted to focus on comfort and color and, and give back. One thing that um, I'd love to chime in on about the history of Hari Mari. So while Jeremy was um, working on a campaign in Jakarta and across the country, I got on the board for the American women's association and I spent my time helping kids in orphanages in and around Jakarta. And, um, so because of that and the experiences we had over there and some of the things that we saw, I, you know, families live on less than a dollar a day and there's no access to healthcare. We became pretty passionate about trying to help kids while we were there. Mm -hmm. So when we moved back and we were deciding on what company to start, we knew that we wanted to continue along that path and help kids here in the U.S. So, we're super proud that we have a, what we call a flops fighting cancer initiative, um, where we donate a percentage of our sales to kids who are battling pediatric cancer okay. um, here in the United States. So that's a little bit about kind of where, um, the history came from on our, on our flops fighting cancer side. And I'll let Jeremy chime in on the supply chain piece.
1: Yeah. We had no idea what we we're doing. You know, they say that this is kind of like a, a double-edged sword. you, you're not in footwear. You're not from footwear. Yeah, uh, and so it's it kind of um, it's an advantage in that way because uh, we didn't know any better to know that what we were doing was absolutely wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but then the, the other side is if we'd been from footwear, we'd have probably uh, uh, saved ourselves a lot of time and misery in terms of the, the sourcing. Um, yeah, I mean, we Lyle and I bought thirty-five favorite pairs. We kind of Frankenstein together this you know awful you know looking monster of a flip flop and what our favorite little aspects of it were. And um, it, this is kind of back in the nascent days of Alibaba. And I, just, I jumped on Alibaba in uh, 2010, 2011, and just tried to find factories that would uh, even entertain, uh, taking on a, a brand with very low uh, uh, minimums. Yeah. And I jumped on a plane, and I visited about 20 different factories and um, pressed go on the one we felt that could could best you know, fit our needs. And the funny thing about it is uh, in mean, classic, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, you know, irrational exuberance syndrome. We had no orders back in the U.S. at all. We hadn't even started reaching out to retailers or building a website yet. Yeah, we thought it was a great idea to order twenty-five thousand pairs of flip flops out of the chute. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we ordered twenty-five thousand pairs, and and th- our first our first order was a a a perfect manual for what not to do in starting a footwear business. Yeah,
3: how many of those do you still have? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well,
1: fortunately, we've, we've gotten rid of all of them, but uh, of our 25,000 pairs, about 40% were completely unsellable. The factory we worked with, we uh, went over there, we sat on the conveyor belt, we watched every single pair go through, and we take off the pairs that were not good or that were uh, didn't meet up or, or to our standards. And um, we thought those pairs were being thrown away, but it turns out they were just taking the box that was sitting next to us and going back to the front end of the line and (laughs) just pouring (laughs) it back on. And so they would eventually get through. And so by the time we received our first order, 40% were completely unsellable. On top of that, Customs gave us a call and said, "Uh, your made-in-China stickers uh, are not – they don't pass code. So they're not not big enough. So we can either label them for you or you can call your friends and family and come do it yourself. So we called everyone we knew. We offered them free food and beer. <laughs> we got him into a warehouse in, uh, in in South Dallas in February. It was super cold, and for a week, we all relabeled twenty five thousand pairs of flip flops with better stickers. And then on top of that, um,
0: I think we had bloody fingers. by Yeah, the end of we it. did. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: on top of that, we thought we were being great, um, great fiduciary uh, citizens of the world by donating those those pairs that were not solvable. Um, to a, a charitable cause that specialized in footwear. And instead of having those pairs go outside of the U.S. for when we were about to launch, because we didn't want to, to tarnish our brand, um, and instead of going to the countries we had designated, they basically ended up in, back on the American market uh, after we donated them. And literally, the day we're about to launch, Lila and I look on um, some, a few different uh, sites that had kind of hashtagged Mari. And they're selling our sixty dollar flip-flops we're about to launch for five dollars. And oh yeah, by the way,
3: it's all the broken ones, it's all the broken ones. And so
1: it's so we had a brand that we were about to launch. We had ordered way more than we needed. We spent the last week relabeling all of them. We donated the pairs that we didn't need, and now those pairs are on the market, flooded at five dollars a piece, and we're about to launch for sixty.
3: Yeah. So so what was that? So we were off to a great ominous, ominous
1: (laughs) beginnings, right?
3: Yeah. How did you recover from that?
0: It didn't really phase us.
3: Okay. Strangely. I know that's
0: odd to say. Um, We were so focused on what we wanted to do and what we were excited to do and um, just ready to get to it. So we just looked at it as kind of obstacles and hurdles in the road and and kept going. Um, And so because we had, you know, almost 25,000 pairs to sell and no orders to show for it, um, I threw my samples in the car and went on the road and I was on the road for the better half of. The next six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was exciting because by, so by the end of, and that was March of 2012 when we launched. So by the end of August, we had about 45 retailers selling the brand. Yeah. So we were able to take that success, then go to trade shows across the country and kind of tout those new accounts. And, um, it's kind of how we got started.
3: So when you were going door-to-door and selling, were you looking for stores that already had flip-flops and you could come in as a premium, or were you trying to become a new category inside of a store?
0: That's a great question, and a little bit of both. One thing that's unique about Hari Mari, in that if you were to look at, you know, say GQ, just for example, GQ or Esquire's top 50, top 100 men stores, we're in the bulk of them. And for those particular stores, it's a new category. Because 10 years ago, had you walked in and said, do you want to sell a flip-flop, they would have laughed you out of the store. But back to Jeremy's earlier comment about the rise in casual wear, it's a new category for a lot of these guys. So to answer your question, Yes, I was going into outdoor stores and um, places where people went to buy flip-flops, but I was also approaching premium higher-end stores that typically hadn't carried a flip-flop before, but it was a it was a positive for Harimori because it was so brand-building for us. It was a great place for people to discover the brand for the first time.
1: Excellent. Yeah, we didn't realize at the time either, but because we weren't hitching this, this wagon to, to surf, um, because we were really uh, making an overt um, case for you know, landlocked customers to, to buy flip-flops and trying to appeal to them in a visual narrative that that, that resonates better than than surfers and and ocean sports and paddleboarding, et cetera. Um, we were creating a lifestyle brand, but we didn't know it. Um, we were creating something that could be sold in yoga and running shops, uh, boutiques, small, big box, and, and then also in, in surf and outdoor. And so, um, I mean, it's one of those things where... It, again, we didn't know anything. We we didn't know what this industry was going to be like. We didn't know anything about footwear. And I think because of that, it kind of like dumb luck. We, we ended up creating something that I think has broader appeal and will uh, continue to. And if we had just said, we're going to be another, uh, foot flop, that's just based in the surf industry or born out of there. Mm -hmm.
3: So where are you at now? Um, I'm sure that it's been an interesting road for you. Uh, How do you look back on, on what you've built and, um, how do you see kind of that journey now?
0: It's been such a blur. You know, we've had, I don't know why we thought it was a good idea to start Hari Mari when our daughter was six months old and we've since had another son and then just insanely busy as Jeremy and I always joke, we call it drinking from a fire hose. So I look back and it's kind of a blur, but it's been an absolute blast and so immensely proud of what we and our team have accomplished. And Will be seven in March, and the company will be, and we have about a thousand retailers selling the brand, um, and you know Nordstrom, Neiman, Zappos, just a beautiful list of retailers across the country, and um, just immensely proud about what we've been able to, to accomplish, and but we still have a long way to go at the same time.
1: See, this is where our healthy competition comes <laughs> into play because Lila oversees all of our wholesale mm-hmm. sales, and and I oversee digital, and so uh, Lila's been taking me to the woodshed for the better part of seven years uh, in terms of our sales revenues. And finally this year, uh, the last year, 2018, we caught up. And so we're now 50, 50 in terms of wholesale and, and digital. And, um, He's really excited yeah, I yeah, can't tell yeah. uh, I'm, I'm going to brag a bit, but, um, but it's, it's exciting because we're now seeing they're interdependent. I mean, I think a lot of brands have a very strong opinion one way or the other, whether it be DTC or wholesale, and having a base of both. But to be able to to have two parts that are very equal, um, I mean, wholesale does so much for us in terms of exposure points. Uh, We found it's a great for a new brand. It's a great place for people to see, touch, feel, test drive, uh, a new footwear brand for the first time. Um, It also is a great litmus test. It's a laboratory, right? Uh, When you put colors and styles in front of wholesalers, people with 25, 30, 40 years of experience are telling you, hey, this is going to do great, this is not. Uh, or these sizes work and this one won't. Or uh, that material, yeah, that's a, that's a winner. Or hey, that one's a loser. And it helps you to you know refine your your selection. And I think on the other hand, uh, DTC is great because uh, you know the, the the peaks and valleys of retail have only become exacerbated over the last you know at least in our experience last five years. And so DTC helps really even those peaks and valleys out for us because it fills in the the valleys and, 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 you know, lessens the the peaks in some respects. Um, so it's definitely, um, an interdependent business for us, but I would even say beyond that, that, you know, uh, they say that entrepreneurs are kind of masochists. you know, you get punched in the nose every day and you come back, uh, asking for more. And, um, and I think that's kind of true for us. I mean, we, we love to go in every day and, and kind of face that new challenge. And, and so we're not ones to, you know, we don't celebrate a lot. We don't pat ourselves on the back a lot because we feel like we haven't even really scratched the surface yet in a lot of ways. So we're we're looking forward. While we're excited about the last seven years, we're really looking forward to you know,
2: the next seven. Hi, it's Mark Rico. I want you to listen to this. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast and smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash network. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Mouth Media Network. Zip Recruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, Zip Recruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, Zip Recruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Mouth Media Network. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
3: As you're building the product, are you um, doing different product for wholesale and different product for online, or is it always the same? How are you approaching that um, assortment
0: side? Historically, it's always been the same, but 2019 is actually the first year that we are going, we are creating and producing web-only products, mm-hmm. and um, that will only continue to, to grow, and we'll build off of that, and our audience is large enough that we, we can, um, and it also is a good litmus test to say, hey... Um, once, if it does, something does so well, then we can take that to wholesale and, say, and with that data and say, this is something you should really look at when maybe it normally wasn't something they would have looked at. Um, but it also allows us to test different products, newer things, kind of be a little bit more bold with what we throw out there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, to have that divide.
1: Yeah. And I'd say part of this is only made possible by bringing in designers who know what they're doing. I mean, up until a year, you know, year ago, um, we were designing mostly everything internally, and it showed. I mean, we were clearly, we don't know what we're doing again. I mean, we we're kind of, yeah. you know, crayon drawings and, you know, uh, CADs that weren't up to snuff. But um, only until recently, we are able to really bring on all-stars, you know, kind of uh, best-in-class folks who know, been there, done that, know what they're doing. And so only because we're able to bring on folks who have this grand expertise in their areas are we then now able to create product that is, you know, far better than what we were doing before and able to hit new areas, new genres, new web-only categories that we never really have been able to attempt. So, um, as
3: the lifestyle side of the brand developed, how did that change your thinking about what products to offer and what categories to be in, what to compete in, and so on? Or did it?
0: I think we're still trying to figure that out. We actually just launched a portion called Studio on our website, to elaborate on that and to figure that out. Um, we actually just spring are launching shoes, which is exciting men's shoes and uh, bringing in some new apparel to support and support the brand and have accessories as such. But, um, we've primarily been super focused on flip flops and trying to be known for making a great flip flop. Mm -hmm. And, um, We still have a long way to go, but now we felt like we've done a good job of doing that. And um, we now feel comfortable enough to kind of pivot and try some other things. So shoes are are coming. They'll be here this spring. We've got some beautiful women's sandals coming up and some other products in the pipeline that we're going to launch on our site to see how how they do.
1: I think that's just piggybacking on that. So studios is kind of like an incubator for a new product uh, where we... Um, let our current customers either you know, vote with their dollars, yes, we make this, or, or, or without, and, and no, we don't. Um, I think, you know, piggybacking off your question, I think one thing we're really focused on right now is, is really women, to be honest. We, we started this business with the intention of being uh, equal-handed with, with men and women, and what we found is because the men's market was so underserved in terms of color is that really the natural weight started to, to go towards men's yeah and so well, color um, and premium. yeah color and premium yeah. and so um and so right now uh as last said we're really focused on uh being able to kind of uh increase our our women's business through just new innovation being able to create women's only styles that previously were what we call shrink it and pink it uh where we just yeah. have men's and we just you know add a little women's color Pick and for her yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> And so now um, with better designers and a better design team where uh, people are way more capable than us, um, we're able to create women's only lines, which will be uh, launching this year um, in 2019 for the first time. And for us, it's a really exciting place to be because we haven't done it yet. One of the biggest fallacies we see with, with entrepreneurs and with brands uh, in general is that they move too quickly into other things and they end up kind of uh, diluting their entire product category versus focusing on one thing and trying to be really great at that before they start moving on to other uh, categories. So we're very cognizant. We try to be be disciplined in terms of just focusing on making a great flip-flop first. And now we feel like we're, we're somewhere there. We're still, you know, still an evolution and we're still always continuing trying to get better, but now we feel like we can start going into shoes and going into premium women's sandals uh, as two additional product categories that hopefully will uh, will have the same discipline in and before we move on to any categories beyond that. How have you uh,
3: built the online presence of the brand? How have you designed the stores and, and that thing? Um, are you working off of set systems and stock systems or are you developing on your own?
1: It's a good question. So right now we have we have one retail store that's our beta and uh, our test shop for what we hope will be many Um and uh, from a merch standpoint, from a, a store flow standpoint, it's kind of as it would allow since it's, it's in our, our headquarters. It's in, in Dallas. We have an office. We have a warehouse. We have a store. It's kind of a classic uh, small business, uh, you know, fit it where you can uh, mentality. Yeah. But I think the, the, the idea for it, at least our online presence is that because we're, we're lifestyle, we really want to be able to communicate in visuals and narratives that, that lend our audience an idea of, um, what they can be doing in our flip-flops or, or what people uh, who buy our flip-flops do in their off time. Um, and that could be anything from going to the lake to sitting on the patio and having a beer to you know, grilling out in the backyard, but hopefully in an aspirational level. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I mean one of the, the key things we looked at when we went into this, this, this business was this, this sandbox that no one was playing in, in, in a, from a price point uh, angle. And that's kind of 50 to $80. I mean, there are a lot of entrants that are kind of $50 and below. There are a couple that are $80 and above, but there was really no one servicing that middle market. And um, and that's where we, we hang our hat and, and try to play. And uh, hopefully that's represented in a lot of our visuals and in our marketing.
3: So um, with the launch of shoes, with the with the expansion to women's, is that going to split the narrative on the site? How are you going to handle telling those new stories on top of what you're already doing?
1: Yeah, I think it has to. Yeah. I mean, I think each deserves its own, its own story. Um, each product, each, um, each gender, each style. And so we're, we're cognizant of that. Instead of trying to kind of, even our last photo shoot, we were, we sat back and we were trying to lump all of our styles into, into you know, three or four hours of a photo shoot. And we, we, Sat back, we paused it on the photo shoot set and said, look, this is ridiculous. We're trying to, you know, fit all these styles into one story. They really each deserve their own story to be able to breathe in that, in that capacity. So we took a step back. We said, look, from a marketing angle, let's now approach this in terms of kind of mini narratives. Mm-hmm. And let's take this specific style. What is it? What does it really speak to in terms of audience, uh, in terms of functionality, in terms of use? And let's go out and let's create a narrative for that and not try to just throw everything in from a, a budget standpoint and try to yeah. you know, load our photographer up with a ton of uh, a ton yeah. of product just to get done in such a short amount of time.
3: How do you handle that um, that guesswork of what to focus on? Are you using a lot of numbers and statistics to like, crunch what you're doing or are you relying a little bit on gut? Yeah. Um, how do you make those types of decisions?
0: Well... With new product, it's got to be gut, right? Yeah. Um, you don't have We don't have any data on that. The only data we do have is, back to what Jeremy was saying before, was pre-books. So if there was a certain style that was pre-booked heavily, for example, as we're getting ready to launch this line called Meadows. On the online, wholesale side. On the wholesale side. Um, getting ready to launch this line called Meadows Online. And it was pre-booked um, pretty heavily across yeah. all categories and all types of stores across the entire country. So taking that data and saying, all right, well, clearly there's something there to it, even though it's a new product, um, it can be a little bit different on the web. Time will only tell. But so we, a lot, those numbers allowed us to focus on that particular style in the photo shoot a little bit more. Um, so having, that, having those numbers helps, but a lot of it does come down to gut and what we think is going to be um, a focus. Because a lot of times, sometimes the whole t- retailers will even tell us, hey, you, we want to see these colors and these styles, and sometimes they're wrong. And there was, a, uh, um, there was a, a meeting with a national retailer, I won't say who, yeah. and they told us they wanted to see three colors in our scouts line for ladies. So we produced them and they absolutely tanked. They absolutely tanked in their stores and they tanked on our site.
2: Yeah. And that
0: was a really good lesson for us to learn to not adhere to and jump when someone says jump, but to listen to our gut and continue to build and develop one what we think is best for the brand.
3: Yeah. Um, any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Anything that you've kind of learned in this journey that you think other people uh, would benefit from?
1: I, I think jumping back to, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't hit more on, on our our philanthropic back end. Um, yeah. So, Flops fighting cancer is something we're super passionate about. We, I think we we would be disappointing ourselves if. Fast forward twenty years from now, we're still doing this, and and, and all we've been doing this entire time is selling flip flops. We wanted there to be um, something that was more meaningful than that, had a greater impact, broader impact. And um, knowing that uh, we saw a lot of great brands doing things for kids abroad, we wonder why uh, more weren't doing things for kids in the U.S. And um, specifically, we from our research, we found that uh, you know pediatric cancer is the most fatal disease in the U.S. among uh, children, and it's more fatal than all the other childhood diseases combined. And so we said, okay, look, that's where we're going to go. In fact, we even landed on helping kids with with cancer and fighting cancer before we landed on flip-flops only. Um, And something that we're super passionate about, we we, we partner now with two pediatric oncology centers uh, and hematology centers in the U.S. And our hope is that as we continue to expand our footprint uh, geographically, that we're able to partner with those uh, oncology centers on the ground and those uh, areas where we service the most. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing we're super passionate about and, and continue to be and, and are very proud of. Um, but I think, too, is, you know, for us, we try to kind of, from a product standpoint at least, we try to package a classic look, um, something that's very timeless that we'll be proud of 10, 20 years from now and, and not look back and, and kind of look at our what we wore, you know, in the early 90s. <laughs> like, what was I doing? Yeah. You know, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but give it a sense of comfort that, you know, maybe is invisible to, to the outside eye. And so I think one of our calling cards and we kind of, you know, uh, glossed over a bit is that we have this patented memory foam toe piece that goes between your first and second toe that literally makes our flip flops comfortable from day one, uh, out of the gates. So no break in periods ever. And, um, it's been our calling card from, uh, from the first day that we started this business and it still continues to be that. And, um, you know, we just encourage, uh, and challenge your listeners to uh, to take the Pepsi challenge for for lack of a better word on our flip flops.
0: I think we should maybe explain what the name means. Oh, ah, know yeah. We get a lot of what's Harry Mary, and so it's actually Hari Mari. You had it right. Um, Hari in the Indonesian language means of the sun. Mari in Latin means of the sea. So, fun play on words, but allowing us to tie our history and time spent in Indonesia into the name of the brand.
3: Okay. Well, thank you both so much. It's it's been a very interesting interview, and um, I've loved diving a little bit into the the origin story as well. I think it's always interesting to see who takes what leaps and when, and how that plays out into the brand. Um, Have your children uh, influenced what you're doing at all? As yeah, yeah, sure. I'd love to hear about like how that has uh, played out.
1: I think in a few different ways. So I I think that when we started having I me mean, light, like we'd said, I think uh, all fair before we started broadcasting that, uh, you know, no one ever told us that it, it was probably not the smartest idea to have, uh, start a company, and start a family at the same time. Um, and, but in hindsight is the best thing that could have ever happened to us, both because you now have something that's again, greater than yourself that you're working for. Uh, and you hope that you're able to hopefully instill those same values in your kids. Um, we, I think there are a lot of there are two different types of parents, and in, in kind of our minds, some that completely separate their their kids from their work life. But we actually, our kids are very much ingrained in, in what we do from a day in, a day out basis. They're at our office quite a bit when they're not in school. They're running around. They're um, you know putting we, made in China stickers in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> small hands. <laughs> uh, we we ha- we haven't put them to work yet, but our, you know hopefully we will soon, um, and, and not. Um, not for anything else than just to give them, you know, hopefully a sense of work ethic when they're, they're young and that will hopefully continue to grow as they get older. Um, but they're a huge part of this. And I think that um, so in some ways kind of landing on pediatric cancer before we started. And, and, and now, you know, we physically go into the hospitals we work with. We um, visit with patients who are in, in treatment there. And I think when you um, are able to experience things like that, it, it really grounds everything else you do, and makes you realize that everything else is 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 not you know as important than your family, the health of your family, and, and those you love. And, and certainly, um, you know, it's been a, a, a really big benefit, and, and uh, for us, and a blessing for us to be able to see that.
0: And they make really cute flip flop models. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's definitely grounding. Jeremy and I are both total workaholics. And, um, it's, they have, because they are so amazing, they make us want to have a better work-life balance. Yeah. And so I think that's a great thing. And back to our, our philanthropy, um, it makes me that much more passionate about our Flops Fighting Cancer Initiative, because I feel we are so fortunate to have two very healthy children and not all families can say that the statistics behind pediatric cancer are insane. One in every 400 kids will be diagnosed with pediatric cancer before the age of 21. Yeah. So my level of gratitude for having children goes through the roof um, and seeing what we see with our um, blank feet. Excellent. Well, thank
3: you for sharing. Yeah.
0: yeah. Thank you for having us.
3: Yeah. It was excellent. And uh, so from Rob Sanchez, good night, y'all.
0: Good night. Thank you.
1: This has been fashion is your business to suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor. Email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com Keep up with the show on social media at fashion biz show. That's fashion B I Z show episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play along with our website fashion is your produced by mouth media network no portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers this is your announcer peter coleman thanks for listening
0: this is mouth media network covering the business of lifestyle